Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 3, issue 141, that's 141, uh, The Chronicles of Riddick, uh, Butcher Bay and Assault on Dark Athena. Play along with Cane and Rinse, volume 3, the next five issues are Snatcher, Viva Piñata Trouble in Paradise, The Last of Us and uh, comments on the multiplayer DLC and the remaster, uh, Gunpoint, Viva Piñata Trouble in Paradise. Sorry, they're two separate games, I should have clarified. Uh, head to caneandrinse.com for the full schedule, the blog, and links to our merchandise stall, Facebook, Google+, and YouTube. You can also subscribe, review, and rate us on iTunes if you wish. I am Darren Gargett. Uh Hopefully, not going to ruin a Kane and Rinse for you. But joining me on this um, this potential tragedy of a show, we have Brian Tarran. Hello there. Darren Foreman. The other Darren. This is all about Star Breezes and Tygon Studios, the Chronicles of Riddick, uh, um, Escape from Butcher Bay, which was first out in 2004 on the original Xbox. And we also have uh, the, the, the the sequel that came out uh, five years later, um, which also included the uh, revamp of Butcher Bay, uh, Assault on Dark Athena. Uh, but just a little... A little brief history, I guess, of uh, games before Riddick that Starbreeze made. Um, I never really played any of these two because my my history with uh, Starbreeze sort of happened with um, the Riddick games. Uh, they made a game called Enclave, which I remember a lot of people saying was really, really good for the time. Did anyone anyone check it out? Um, I picked up a copy secondhand uh, and was mm. meaning to play it, but it was right at the tail end of the Xbox, the original Xbox's life cycle oh. and uh the the lure of upgrading was a bit too much so it was one of the ones that got traded in uh with the rest mm. when i got the 360 yeah i'd never i don't know i wasn't really in the mood for that kind of game when i when i saw the back of the boxes i, I assume it, it involved swords and stuff from what i remember it looked like it yeah 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 i wasn't really up for that at the time and uh, knights of the temple infernal crusade which i don't think people liked at all at the time i don't know if i'm wrong about that but um it was another one where i just looked at it and went no, I might, cheers. I might. That is a pretty stereotypical title. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, neither of those games I have had uh, time with, so... No. Useless, useless for uh, debate, uh, debate mm. discussing them. So, it's a bit of a weird one, this. I'm not too sure of the the relationship between the two studios during development. But uh, Tygon Studios, which was a studio founded by Riddick himself, um, also known as Vin Diesel to me and you, or Groot, I guess... Um, yeah, he made a game studio called Tygon Studios, um, but I, I can never really work out what the relationship between them in terms of development was with the game. Like, like they've done games like um, Wheelman and um, an iPad game of Riddick called um, Riddick the Merc Files, which I, I YouTube briefly and I was like, yeah, I don't really want to be pinching and pulling Riddick to kill people. I'm, I'm alright, cheers. But um, like, what did they do? I mean, I assume they're like kind of just the. Um, like a foundation, like a, a place to go to to get your resources for the development of the game. I imagine Starbreeze did a lot of the heavy lifting. Does anyone have any um, better I, information? I, well, I don't have better information, but I always just thought of Tygon as being uh, a quite a noble vanity project uh, by Vin mm. Diesel. You know, he's obviously somebody that loves video games, and he wanted to see himself in video games. He wanted to be the protagonist of every game out there. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, but you know, to be to be fair, I think they. You know the uh, his involvement brought money with it and backing for games that uh, mm. you know that might not otherwise have been made and you know had he had success with it 
you know, we, he might have been considered the the Andy Circus uh, of, of his day with with Tygon if if it had gone the way that uh, you know Andy Circus's work has gone with mocap and things like that. He could have laid the foundations for something quite quite interesting. But yeah, I mean, we could totally be playing uh, Super Rodic Kart right now. <laughs> we could. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I miss that game. That'd be brilliant. In alternate timeline, <laughs> yeah. that is happening. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, you know, I, I think Tygon Studios is sort of best claim to fame is these Reddit games and, uh, ultimately gave Starbreeze the kind of like the launch pad they needed to, you know, reach the eventual sort of success that they, they had with, you know, the darkness and the, the you know, and the, the future games like uh, Syndicate stuff. I say success, you know, in terms of publishing games, the, the, the quality kind of like, you know, is either hit or miss for you. But personally for me, I enjoyed most of Starbreeze's output since, um, since Riddick. So I, I, I guess Tygon are partly responsible for Star Breeze's, you know, their, their, their style of game, that first person type game where movement feels really, really, um, kind of realistic in a way, kind of mirror's edge, you know, like every movement is simulated within Riddick, um, in first person other than the, the, the ledge climbs and the, uh, the ladder, uh, crawls and stuff like that. So yeah, um, histories with the franchise. Uh, we'll be there day one on uh, on the original Xbox. And did we come back for the revamp in 2009? Mr. Foreman, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I don't, don't really have a particularly personal connection with, like, the Pitch Black uh, Riddick franchise. Hmm. Um, one of my friends was a bit, uh, was really into Pitch Black at the time, and he kind of informed me about this game coming out. And I says, great, it's a licensed game. That is going to be absolutely fantastic. Now shut up and never talk to me again. <laughs> But as it turned out, um, a lot of people started agreeing with it. You know, like, uh, once the game came out, it got some pretty good reviews. And hmm. Although I didn't get it day one, it wasn't more than a couple of weeks until I got my fleshy, uh, sweaty hands on it and uh, started playing away. And then, as far as the 360 revamp goes, I picked that up on a sale. I think it was about 10 quid by the time that I bought it. So that mm-hmm. certainly wasn't uh, bought at release. Um, mainly for Dark Athena, which is the semi-sequel kind of... I mean, it is a sequel... Hmm. But I don't think it was originally intended to be. I think it was more like an expansion pack or something at the time. Mm. Anyway, uh, as it came out, um, it was an extra bit of Riddick, and since I liked Butcher Bay, I thought, well, yeah, I'll have that as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, I'm pretty much the same. You know, I um, I picked up the original release on the Xbox. Uh, pretty much after checking it out in the independent game shop that I always go on about that I used to work in, I was like, well, hang on, a first-person stealth game? This can be... You know, this could, this could either go one way or another. Like, movie games tie-ins, you know, usually aren't the best. I think the only one I enjoyed before that was Goldeneye. And, um, you know, there's always a stigma around these movie games. You're like, oh man, really? Is this, is it, are they actually doing a Riddick game? And, you know, I'd seen Pitch Black. I'd seen the woeful film, The Chronicles of Riddick. And I was, you know, I was skeptical. But when, when I, um, got hands on with Riddick himself in first person, I, I'm not big on stealth. As people may know from the Mark of the Ninja um, and Metal Gear Solid shows, I'm not big on stealth, but sometimes games do it right for me. And um, yeah, I, I got on with Riddick straight away. Uh, I did come back for the revamp in 2009 on day one, uh, partly because I wanted to play Butcher Bay again uh, with its new shiny visuals. Uh, but yeah, more, more interested to check out a sequel that was, you know, it, to me, it always felt like it was bolted on. <laughs> Even though it was called Assault on Dark Athena, it always felt like Butcher Bay was the main course despite being a revamp and the Dark Athena bit was kind of like, you know... Uh, it feels like DLC before DLC was really a big thing. Yeah, it kind of feels like it was just, you know, a thing. Like, okay, yeah, some more environments to run around. And even then, on the day of buying the revamp version, I was just like, it doesn't feel like a sequel to me. It is, because yeah. the storyline continues on. 
but it just, it, it just it, didn't it feels feel so like much it. like the the Harley Quinn kind of thing from uh, Arkham City. You know, right, it, yeah. it just continued the story, but it doesn't feel like they've really put that much into it. You mm-hmm. know, it's not like as though it was a project uh, that came off the ground with uh, all these dreams and aspirations to be fantastic. Mm. It just kind of feels like it's bolted on, as I said. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's weird that. It, you know, even on day one, it kind of felt like that. So, Brian, how about yourself? Uh, well, I my relationship, I guess, with the franchise started with uh, getting an import copy of Pitch Black on DVD. Uh, I'm not mm. sure what motivated motivated me to do so uh, i did have a, a region free dvd player it was my it was my first one that i got and i think i got a bit carried away having discovered play.com and all the, yeah. the cheap imports so i was just buying yeah. hoovering up you know whatever whatever i could get but you know i, I bought that watched the movie a couple of times really loved it really sort of fell in love with the character uh as a as far as anti-heroes go he was pretty he was pretty dark and uh and brutal but uh, i mm. liked that uh the game itself I didn't. I, I'm convinced I didn't pick it up on launch. I didn't get an Xbox until quite late, and most of the games I got there were sort of picked up secondhand when I when I found them in shops, or you know ordered uh, through eBay things like that. Mm-hmm. So I I kind of you know it went in there not not ex- not expecting great things I guess from it. I hadn't heard much about it, uh, but but picked it up, played it through when the uh, 360 revamp rolled around in 2009. That was uh, definitely a day one purchase, and like you, I was there mostly to go through Butcher Bay again because when I traded in my uh, ex- old Xbox with all my games, as soon as I'd done that, I instantly regretted trading in Butcher Bay uh, mm. because I, would, I knew I'd want to play it again someday. So that yeah, that was the the, the main motivation to pick that up. Good. So yeah, Escape from Butcher Bay. <clears throat> like I said, it came out in 2004, and the kind of the first thing you see in the game, other than some wicked menu with like a like a weird, I don't know, like it looks like a little metal toy that sort of j- jingles around when you spin it. Um, it reminds me on Andros from Star Fox for some reason. <laughs> yeah, like you know, kind of like the tiles spitting at you and stuff like that. And it makes a really satisfying jingle whenever you sort of slide the um the cube around. If anyone remembers a toy from back in the, I don't know the nineties, I guess, where you put your face in a bunch of pins and it kind of makes your face. <laughs> In pin, pin form, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really weird. It reminds me of that because the way they all sort of pop in and out, it just ah, it it's a weird menu. But to talk about it, I talk about a menus, it's you know, it does something right for me. And I often just find myself just spinning that thing around just to hear it tingle away. Now, well, we've seen that recently, that? haven't we? It's obviously the height of technology on Planet Krypton. For anyone who's seen Man of Steel, uh, they have that whole automated. Ah, oh, yeah, you know, they do, don't yeah, they? Yeah. Ah, well, yeah, um. And if I was to put it in the top three of menus, it would be just below Metroid Prime. It would be just below it. Uh, and he was I... about to mention Metroid Prime. Thanks very much. <laughs> Foiled your plans. Foiled your plans. So yeah, before you, uh, you know, uh, cheese around with a, a silly cube, um, yeah, you know, you, you choose Butcher Bay and you're immediately bolted into uh, a, a, a scene with Riddick in a chair, kind of like imprisoned because, you know, the, the name applies that he's... You know, he's, he's in some sort of prison. But it's all foresh- it's all kind of like a dream sequence, I think. It's all kind of like a, a foreshadowing of things to come. And this is when you really sort of get to grips with the world. It kind of throws you in in the deep end without really telling you much of what's going on. It, it, it tutorializes you while you're playing the opening sort of dream sequence. And it's it's a quite a neat trick because it doesn't tell you it's a dream sequence. You think this is actually happening, but it's teaching you how to do it 
while you're doing it. And you're so as as me, the player, I'm constantly thinking at the time, well, hold on, like this is actually like, you know, the consequences here are going to take effect. So you do take it really seriously, even though it's like a you know a dream slash tutorial yeah. sequence. The game's and, ten minutes long and he escapes in the f- those last ten minutes. Yeah, and you're like, oh right, okay, he's uh he's he's out, and you know you, you do you, know, you, you, you sneak around. <laughs> oh, that, was you, that was easy. Yeah, yeah. game over. <laughs> Time to check out the multiplayer. Oh, no, yeah. but yeah, um, it's, you know, it's the, actually kind of interesting though because one of the first things that Roddick does is kill Johns, and as mm. someone who hadn't seen Pitch Black, that meant nothing <laughs> to me. And uh, the pal I was uh, talking about earlier on, you know, he he was a big fan of Pitch Black. Yeah. He was watching it at the same time. And he's like, what? And I'm like, oh, I just <laughs> killed that guy, you know? He's just done him in. No so, problem. Uh, definitely if you're a fan of the, the franchise, there's obviously certain things that you might have caught on that I didn't throw out my, game, yeah. uh, my playthrough, you know? I don't know, but t- t- twice through it, or the first time through it, I assumed that this was the start of the game proper. And then the second time, so there was what, a five-year or well, probably less than five year gap between the two. Mm. Um, I, I still got thrown by it. I still thought, well, I don't remember it starting this quickly. This is, <laughs> yeah, this is pretty intense straight away. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I thought it was it was effective. It was a, you know it was it was a way of handling the tutorial without mm. uh, tr- bogging bogging down the opening of the game too much. I think, although there is a bit of back and forth once you actually get into the prison proper. Yeah, so once the rug is pulled from underneath you, you uh, you go back to the scene that you you originally saw of Riddick in the chair, sort of jolting around, getting intimidated by Johns, and well, I say intimidated, you know, Riddick plays everything cool, but um, with his witty one-liners and his retorts, and you know, you are then dragged into Butcher Bay um, by exhibit, by, by exhibit, no less, because I, I I heard the voices and I was like, that sounds like exhibit, you know what I mean? Like, is it? And even but back then, I wasn't too sh- like, you know, I wasn't too um, keen or you know well well versed on the uh the idea of voice actors at the time i just thought they were just people talking but this time around i was like is that exhibit and then i waited for the credits to roll again it showed you all the names that vin diesel's friends with no doubt it's like you know they look at the guy from police academy and this guy and this guy and Mi- michael rooker and ron perlman and you're like what the hell like uh, dwight schultz That's, like all these names kept popping up and i was like okay these are obviously you know um this is why Targon Studios exists, you know, is to yeah. pull these names in and make this game the cinematic, uh, you know, the cinematic thing that it's trying to be. You know, it's trying to be a film in a way, like the way the presentation is. It's very Half-Life in its approach and the fact that you're kind of dragged through this prison in first person, where, you know, whereas Gordon Freeman, obviously, he's on a train uh, in first person, uh, in, absorbing the environment around him. And this is kind of the same. And yeah, you're thrown in your prison cell and... Pretty much straight away, you're given your first sort of quasi open world to to mess around with. How do people in, like like these open world moments? I know they're uh, back in the day they were they were quite funly thought of, like you know, like side quests and dealing with prison inmates and stuff like that. I, I've always been a big fan of them, you know. Like I think that if you want to establish any kind of atmosphere, you really do have to kind of establish a grounding. And uh, even though a lot of people don't like jumping through hoops, like getting used to an area. And uh, finding little secrets and little side missions. It's a, a kind of gameplay design that's always appealed to me, you know? Hmm. Um, like, a lot of games nowadays just try and, like, shove you quickly through, like, um, various kind of environments to try and, like, wow you like that. And uh, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, I actually prefer just that kind of atmosphere you get from being able to indulge yourself in a smaller area, you know, get to know it a bit more intimately. Hmm. It's the same kind of idea that Metroid Prime has, you know? Hmm. Um, at least to a degree, whereas you're able to explore these rather than getting shoved through them. 
and I've always preferred that approach. Uh, I, th- I think the, uh, the the sort of cinematic pretensions of the of the game are, you know, w- well served by these moments of, uh, I, I guess, pacing. It's it, they're used to you know establish the world, establish characters, and they're used to give you a chance to to explore and settle in before being you know thrust into the main action. And I think this is. The game really excels for me in in the way it breaks up these sort of open world chunks, and then you have more kind of linear, action oriented bits that go back into another open world scene. And I think it's a, it's a great way of of uh, it, it. It marked this game out as something different in the in the first person genre. I think. Mm. Yeah, I should also differentiate it from like Metroid and like pure exploration games at this point, because there are multiple points in the game where you're forced forward and you can't go back. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm. Yeah, I, I was quite impressed with the open world um, atmosphere the game had at the start. It, it kind of surprised me. I was like, all right, so they're actually letting me explore this kind of this prison and, uh, you know, talk to the inmates and talk to basically the, the people with the best death stares in the world. Like Luigi, he's like 10 years too late, man, because like the, the, the body, the, um, the, you know, the, the models in this game. <laughs> When they're looking at you, they're they're giving you some wicked stares, and you just think to yourself, "Well, that, is that meant to happen, or is this just like a bad engine?" I, I ain't too sure. But either way, talking to the guys, you know, you get a good sense of the world and just how kind of how rough it is in Butcher Bay. Uh, you know, all the sounds, like the screams and stuff coming from behind the doors, they kind of funnel you quite unfortunately into one one doorway at the end of it, all, and it, it kind of. Not disappointed me, but it kind of I kind of wished for more kind of open uh, ended sort of gameplay there. As I can say, it, it's kind of like a it, like I said earlier, it's kind of quasi, you know, like you can pick up side missions from all these guys, and you know you do end up getting a shift from one guy, and and uh, you know you end up trading things with other guys for more for more prison t- style goods. But ultimately, I think like four of the five guys who gave you a side quest, they all wanted you to kill this one guy. And I can't remember his <laughs> name. True, it's something yeah. like Red or something. It's like, yeah, can you kill this guy? And you're like, Rust. I'll, I'll do that for you. That's it, Rust. Thank you. And, um, and then like, I talked to another guy. He's like, oh, I really don't like that Rust. And you're like, okay, I'll kill him for you. Don't worry. I'm already on it, mate. I've got, I've got time wasting here. And then he's like, going to talk to another guy. Excuse me, can you go kill Rust for me? And you're just like, all right, what's going on here? Like, obviously, Let's be honest, wanna... Rust is kind of a bastard, you know. If I was like, would <laughs> be telling you to kill Rust as well. Well, they're all in prison. They're all bastards. Do you know what I mean? Like, I how much more of a dick can you be? Like, yeah. I'm going to have to censor these out, but yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I reckon 50% of that first prison wanted Rust dead. And fair enough, you know, he, he got what's coming to him. And um, that's kind of where you first experience your your first true first-person combat moment. Yeah, I think I think the side quests they pay lip service to the notion of side quests, really, don't they? But I think mm. I'm guessing part of that may have something to do with technical limitations. I mean, if you're going back to it now, you notice how sparsely populated this, you know, maximum security prison is, with you mm. know, only one or two people dotted around the place. Uh, but then, you know, if you... that's probably because about ninety percent of them die in the first five minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, they've all been <laughs> they've all been whacked by uh, you know by people. You know, chasing a pack of cigarettes or something like that. <laughs> yeah, no. But then, if you fast forward to something like uh, the, the Wolfenstein: The New Order, which is you know has a uh, Starbreeze heritage, there's a there's a kind of a prison moment in that which kind yeah. of operates along the along the same lines of it being mm. very simple fetch quests. But uh, in, in the same way, I think they they both work to build atmosphere and establish this as being slightly different from the usual you know run gun FPS. Mm. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed, like you say, Darren. It kind of gives you time to breathe in the world, and the world they give you in Butcher Bay is really believable. Like even now, the art style and the lighting. Like when you look up when you're in that courtyard, you look up and you just think, "This is like it's beautiful, really." Like the, the golden sort of lighting effect that's coming through, and it's. I know it's all a skybox and it's not real and it's all fake because it's video games. But when you look up, you just think, "Yeah, they've done a really good job of making this world feel believable." Um, so yeah, the first person combat I spoke to, I spoke about earlier, when you fight Rust, is kind of the core, for me, the, the core element of the, um, of the game in terms of, uh, in terms of combat. I find the actual shooting pretty terrible when it comes to, um, you know, you know, gun on gun combat, I guess. Um, but the first person combat, I, you know, sometimes it can be really tough, especially when you fight the, the boss style enemies, you know, Rust being an example. It kind of reminds me of punch out, you know, you kind of have to wait for the guy to give you his tail. You have to wait because you both got your fists up, you're both blocking. But as soon as that one guy gives you like an opportunity to sort of like, you know, shiv him in the neck, you, you take it and uh, they go down. So how do people feel about the um, the first person combat, both melee and shooting? It frustrated me. I actually um, whacked it down to easy for this for this playthrough before this podcast. Mm. And it still had the ability to frustrate me uh, on a number of occasions. Um, I don't know if that was just because I was, you know, trying to rush through the game. I was, I'd, I'd seen it twice before. I wasn't, you know, sticking around for the scenery or anything like that. So that might have been uh, the reason. You know, maybe when I first time through it, I was playing it a bit more tactically. Uh, but it, mm. it felt very, as you say, it's very much, you know, you just sort of, you know, skirt around the the guy, uh, sort of moving out of the way until he does his sort of power attack, uh, which leaves him mm. exposed. Then you shiv him in the face and he takes a lot of shivs to the face he's pretty tough <laughs> yeah. uh, so i found that to be uh frustrating that those sort of prison sequences when you actually get to take on guards though and you have the the, the one button sort of quick disarm uh, i think that improves the the combat because essentially mm. it's a cheat button that lets you quickly uh, plow through people but yeah i i found that to be that those first few goes with you know one-on-one with prisoners with shivs and shanks were quite uh frustrating um yeah i mean like as far as the combat went i thought it was entirely serviceable i guess hmm. um there's quite a few games actually bothered to try and do and the first person combat i think breakdown's the only other one that i can name offhand hmm. and i do think that Riddick kind of there was an authenticity to the combat you know like there was a good feeling there physical contact and getting shoved around and uh, jostling for space and confined areas. And to be honest, I mean, it didn't frustrate me that much. Um, generally, I was a very kind of counter-attacking uh, type of player. And I think that if you go and like, just wheeling your fists in, you'll probably get mm. decked in the face quite a lot. But if you take your time and look for tells, as you were saying, um, yeah, I mean, it's not amazing combat, but I think it does the, the job quite nicely. Yeah, uh, like I said earlier, the, the shooting I found to be pretty limp. Uh, each gun I, I was shooting... You know, it does the damage and kills the guys, but ultimately it gives you like a really weird dot on the screen that's kind of just, it's too big to be precise, you know, it kind of just <laughs> takes up too much real estate on the screen. And the guns feel really limp, like the the noise they make and the way the bullet sort of floats through the air rather than like, you know, it ejects out of the gun. I, you know, I use them to serve a purpose to, you know, to kill the dudes, but ultimately like 99% of my gameplay was, uh, you know, jumping off the ledges and jumping on people's heads and pretty much just shiving people in the back of the head uh, the way the game's probably intended. I I kind of feel like the shooting was an afterthought because the guns in the game are linked to the guards and you can't really pick them up until you 
you know, you, you log into their system and then sort of effectively disguise yourself as one of them. Like you kind of add your fingerprint to the, uh, to the system. But even then it's just like, oh man, like once you fire a gun in that game, and it's a shame because I found the shooting in, you know, their, their later games, like the darkness and stuff to be really good fun. Um, or more enjoyable at least. But as in this, it's just like, oh, okay, it's time to use a gun and it's not going to go well for me. But, um, yeah, the melee combat I found to be pretty fun. Um, the, 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 the tough guys <laughs> did frustrate me. Uh, I, I found myself kind of dying on purpose to force these dynamic checkpoints. And it's kind of the first game, I think Halo did it as well, but the more you die, the more frequent these checkpoints become and the kind of the, the more health you get back per death basically so i was kind of like all right kill me again i'll have an extra square in my health and then you know i, I kind of gamed it that way which is a bit cheesy but I, I was quite impressed with the game's sort of willingness to make it easier for you in a in a strange way like you know it's one of those kind of it doesn't actually tell you which is a shame i feel like if you're going to do that at least tell the player that something different's happened because otherwise they'll blissfully be unaware of these dynamic checkpoints but yeah um yeah the the, the first person combat you know plays it plays into the stealth play that the, the game has, which um, which I think Thief did it as well. But when you're hiding in shadows and stuff like that, because that's the kind of character Riddick is, the screen sort of turns blue, kind of a bluey sort of shimmery type uh, thing to let you know that you're hiding from the guards and that you you know you will not be spotted unless they've got a flashlight. Uh, was it was there another game that did the the you know the on-screen indication of um, invisibility? I can't remember. I think I remember it getting praised a lot at the time as a, as an implementation of uh, first person stealth, but that might just be uh, me misremembering. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I found that it was certainly the first couple of times I played it. That was why, as as much as the some of the one on one melee combat things frustrated me, you know, you you always felt and were always aware that the game wanted you to be hiding in the shadows and jumping out and stabbing people in the back of the neck rather than mm. actually engaging in, you know, one-on-one uh, open combat. So I did I did the same as you, dying a lot or letting myself get killed, but that was only so I could go through sections again and do it properly, if you like, do it as Riddick would do it. It was a, a game mm-hmm. that I think put you in character and put you in uh, wanting to play a certain way. Uh, so I think that was that was good. And yeah, I, I didn't have any problems with the with the with the stealth mechanic you always knew when you were in shadows you always knew when you couldn't be seen uh the, mm. I, the, the real problem was if you popped out of the shadows the guards were pretty good at spotting you pretty quickly from quite a long way away yeah yeah the ai can be a bit of hit and miss uh when it comes to you know encounters especially of the enemies that are less uh well more uncommon i guess the the, the big guy in the lift that comes down in that kind of well for me it's quite iconic area um, there's a few there's a few guards dotted around hiding behind boxes, and when you kill all them, this big guy in like a, kind of like a mech suit comes down, and the amount of times he kind of shot me through walls and basically just cheated. Like I was hiding in the shadows, and I, I think my, my my little toe probably moved, and he just noticed it, and he was like, he just shot me down. I was like, okay, well, you know, this is this is a bit crap. Do you know what I mean? Like I kind of wish I was more adept at this situation than what the game's given me the ability to do. And so I ended up kind of cheesing him in a in a very Dark Souls style fashion where he got caught on a corner <laughs> and I was just chipping away at him for a for a few um for a few minutes until he died. Uh but you know, talking about kind of like that um the the glitches in the game and stuff, I kind of found myself bumping into these more often than not now. I'm not too sure if that's because 
of the way I play games is a bit weird, but I kind of found myself bumping into a lot of these sort of accidentally falling out of the environment glitches and stuff like that. Did anyone, I know Darren hasn't played it again recently, but Brian, did you find yourself like uh, witnessing any AI abnormalities or, you know, environment yeah. ones? Yeah, there was a lot of, going going back to it this time through, that I, I noticed a lot of frustrating moments with the AI where, the, where you know, as I said, they'll spot you across the map uh, having only just sort of peeked out of the, the corner of a mm. box or something like that. Or they'll just, they just would do random things, random weird things uh, that made the, uh, you know, the perfect playthrough quite difficult to achieve unless you wanted to keep mm. going back. But then with these dynamic checkpoints, it was really hard. You know, if you if you get a, a glitch or something like that, it tends to get uh, st- saved and stored pretty quickly. So <laughs> unfortunately, you then have to just sort of muddle your way through, which doesn't which doesn't make for a smooth experience. But I think it's one of those. Nah. Uh, times where you know development game development has improved game quality has improved generally uh, mm. you know it technical quality and I think that these sorts of things are much more noticeable much more frustrating now mm. so yeah after you um the, the aforementioned rust after you take him down uh, you know uh, Riddick's been eyeing up his escape already from Butcher Bay and he wants to go into what, what they call the pit I do believe which is kind of essentially um like prison area part two and it's it's a lot grimmer it's a, it's, a, it's a darker place obviously being called the pit and it kind of introduces you to or reintroduces you to the kind of the alien-esque uh, creatures from pitch black i do believe i imagine they're that they, they look similar to me i'm not quite you know versed on the lore of um chronicles of riddick but i i kind of assumed they were one and the same i don't know uh, if you know more about that brian no that skips it you, you've kind of there's two pit sections essentially the first pit section oh, okay. is with the the, the zombie like creatures that oh, charge okay. at you yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you know essentially they're meant to be prisoners that have just been dropped down there and yeah. left to left to fend for themselves uh, it's like there's it's a there's basically a... exactly the same as in the new tomb raider reboot when you go into the pit in that one and you've got all these weird kind of guys just shuffling yep. them out trying to eat you <laughs> yeah. and it's frustrating it's a nice video game convention it is yeah yeah it was uh it was uh, the, the whole bit leading up to getting into the pit was is that first action sequence you know where you have to make That's your way right. into the infirmary don't you then you mm. break out the infirmary and then you're scurrying about in you know tunnels and under uh you know walkways and things like that and that whole section i think is great leading up to this big prison riot essentially in the in the cell mm. block and then you get chucked down this pit uh and uh yeah, and i remember it's a bit of a scumbag to navigate as well yeah, no, there were well, there's a few there was a few moments where you get a, you get a lot a bit lost. Darren, mm. you referenced Half Life Two at the beginning, but I don't think at this point Starbreeze had uh, Valve's uh, sense of environmental navigation. There, were, there was a few times going back and forth mm. through the same door and things like that, trying to find your way. But, yeah, but yeah, then you jump yeah. down a pit, don't you? And there's the immortal Riddick line for you know it's not the fall that kills you, it's the stop at the end or something like that. Oh, that's right, quip. yeah, because he's. He's got a guard on yeah, That's right, he survives the fall by landing on top of a guard. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure the probably. physics on that. No, I don't, think that, <laughs> I don't think that would work. But <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so then, you but, sit, then it's a flashlight section, isn't it? And you're, you're wandering around in the dark, having these mm. screaming creatures running at you, and you're just sort of popping them in the head. and They go down fairly easy, but they, they gang up on you, and they can be a bit annoying, uh, especially as you're torch starts to run out of battery and you get a bit end up getting a bit lost so it wasn't mm. my favorite section of the game but i think it no, leads to quite a pivotal moment doesn't it so yeah you need that yeah, it definitely does so yeah you know on your adventure through these kind of these zombie-esque um moments and 
you know, the the flashlights like you spoke about. Um, you find yourself taking more kind of, you know, damage from the enemies as usual. Uh, more more than usual, sorry. And the one thing I did really appreciate about the, the Riddick kind of environment is their, um, their kind of weirdness with how Riddick uh, heals himself up. There are these health stations on the wall. Again, very Half-Life-esque with these... Uh, these health stations on the wall, but the way they kind of actually recharge Riddick himself is by sticking massive spikes in his face. <laughs> and, um, and also like to, to upgrade your health bar in from four to five uh, squares, it kind of sits in a, I always imagined it as an F zero arcade machine. I'm not too sure if that's just me, but it looks like a giant arcade machine he sits in and he plays a game of F zero and he's got more health. I mean, that makes sense, right? Uh, it's very odd, but I, I do like it. I kind of like its sort of its future, futuristic approach um, at medicine. Yeah, yeah, it's basically how I envision the future uh, with the NHS. So yeah, I think it's completely viable. <laughs> and you know, the the little machines give you uh, one-liners. You know, um, I, I can't remember what they say now. Something. So yeah, uh, you end you enter uh, this, the kind of the second prison area. Where they do try to, to be fair, they do try and give you more varied um, side quests and kind of trade in between guys, poisoning food and sneaking around vents in the in the pit prison. Uh, but I do like the the kind of like the 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 arena style tournament punch up you can get yourself in, and it's kind of I think there's two ways of getting out of this prison uh, or, or pit is by either winning the tournament or by Going through a chain of events, you know, killing certain members of this pit, and you know, basically, like it's kind of like a Zelda um, trading quest system, which I found pretty cool. But again, I got lost throughout most of it, and I don't think the map helps either. It's just a bunch of squares joined together by dots, and it doesn't really uh, line. Sorry, it doesn't really give you a lot of um, reference points as to where you are and where you should go to get to the bit you need to. I found myself like seeing that horrible loading screen over and over and over again, far too often. And uh ended up getting frustrated and just wanted to go through the formality of punching people in the face to get out of the pit. I don't know, did anyone else try it differently? Because I know there is another way of getting out of the pit. Uh, the, uh, the... Getting out of... The, well, fighting the fighting the guys, you, you can... Uh, I think you, you get to bribe a guard or something like that. Oh no no! Oh, sorry, to to get out of that main section, that first the the second prison yeah. section, you definitely you have to fight at least one person, and that's the guy with the blue skin tattoo blocking the door. You have to do that, that's but right. there's you don't have to. There's there's two ways out of the the second section into the you need to get into the tunnels, the mm. uh, the mining tunnels, and you can either mm. go through an arena combat or you can help somebody out uh, who then sells you some drugs, and you can orchestrate it so you get picked up by the guards taken into a room um and then riddick unleashes his primal fury in <laughs> in, a, in a quite um ridiculous manner but the, <laughs> you know but by that point we actually we actually by the time you get to that second prison section we actually skip the bit where uh you get your magic blue eyes your magic shiny that's eyes yeah, yeah your eyes shine when he comes up in through the showers that's right yeah that's that right. That was the most frustrating thing for me as a fan of uh, Pitch Black because in the film they explain it as him getting, uh, I think what they refer to as a shine job, which <laughs> sounds a bit dodgy. does sound a yeah. bit dodgy, admittedly, but it makes it sound like it was something done to him, whereas in uh, Butcher Bay they've, they've kind of retconned it, I think, with the whole uh, mystical mumbo-jumbo that they injected into the Chronicles of Riddick film. Mm. So it's now that he, he kind of 
he gets his magic eyes because because some god has determined that you know he needs to get magic eyes uh, to help him to see. Uh, so yeah, th- that was, uh, and then yeah, this primal fury bit where he magically beats up six different six guards all at once, uh, and then he gets to uh, beat it up. What's disappointing that he didn't start flying? It, it was a little, yeah. That would have made it. I think that would have made it escape a lot easier for him. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you get you, that, the best bit of that alternate route through is that you do get to beat up Exhibit uh, with a metal bar, which is um, that's right. Yeah. It was worth it. It was quite pleasurable. I mean, not that Exhibit himself is a bad person, but his character's pretty, pretty horrendous in the game. So yeah, he deserved yeah, it. He deserved it. Yeah. So yeah, my um, my kind of my fragmented memory of playing through Riddick, uh, it, it kind of goes for all games. Like any story game that I play, I kind of forget the sequence and order it goes in. But with this one in particular, like I, I know you're a fan of the series, Brian, but for me, like the story was just there just to help push me through to the next area and see how how neat, how cool these environments were. Like I really enjoyed the gameplay that much. Like, the story for me, even the second time through recently, I was just like, okay, some guards are talking. You know, a guy called Jagger Valance has become a new sort of, you know, um enemy and he's sort of like he sort of exhibits boss. I even forget what exhibits actual character name is. Um but yeah, like the story for me is kind of just a vehicle to get to the next cool place and uh I don't know if that was the the intent from Vin Diesel. I, I imagine Vin Diesel's um, idea of the story was better than it actually panned out. But how do people? F- how do you feel about the story? Because for me, it kind of it felt very basic, I guess. Like, and I, I say basic, and I, you know, I forgot it. <laughs> but but that's probably speaks more about my stupid head than uh, than anyone else's. But the story for me, like I say, it was just a vehicle to get from A to uh, Z. How about anyone else? Did, did you really enjoy it, Brian? I. I didn't. I wouldn't say I enjoyed the story. It was it was a very light touch sort of approach to storytelling. But mm. where what I what I did enjoy of it was that it was much more in keeping with the the stripped back nature of Pitch Black than it was the uh, the sort of ridiculous overblown space opera of Chronicles of Riddick. You know, it was mm. it it was meant as a prequel to Pitch Black, and it felt like a, a prequel to Pitch Black in the sense that it was just about you know a criminal trying to escape from a, a maximum security prison or triple max security prison. So right. in that, in that respect, yeah, I liked it. I mean, the, the characters were, I mean, they had the, the strength of the voice actors. So you mentioned Jagger Valance and that was Ron Perlman and Ron Perlman mm. for me is uh, pretty much, you know, great in anything that, that, that he's in or, or certainly lifts mm-hmm. anything that he's in, but he didn't have much to do beyond stand there and give out a few sort of, quest notes essentially for Riddick to go off and discover a tunnel and blow something up or kill something or it was all very much you know kill it blow it up you know that that's that's the length of the the, the, uh, mm. the depth of the the story involvement but it wasn't you know but you know it's a prison escape what more what more that's right, want, eh? really indeed how about you Darren do you remember enjoying the uh the the narrative of Riddick's adventure. The thing is, I mean, it's not so much the overall arc and narrative that I appreciated. It was just the fact that it kind of took a very small... I mean, escaping from a maximum security uh, prison isn't exactly something that you could kind of class as being completely insignificant. But at the same time, in the larger scheme of things between Pitch Black and Chronicles of Riddick, it just feels like a stepping stone, you know, like uh, along Vin Diesel's path. I'm going to call him Vin Diesel from now on because uh, it abuses me. <laughs> and uh, no, I mean, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't because 
the overall story was great. It was just because I like, as I said, I like that atmosphere that it kind of built up, and mm. you know, you've got all these horrendous human beings kind of shuffling around trying to shank each other in the eyeballs, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I went back and played it now, you know, like with all the advances in game and narrative, it might not seem quite as uh, impressive, but at the time, it felt like something new, like they were actually trying to make an effort with it, and mm. I appreciated that in the fact that it was trying something different. No, I was just going to say, you know, what Darren Gargett was saying about wanting to see the next section. I, I, I felt the that you know exploring the prison and you know the the, the intricate routes through the, the the prison system was kind of the, the part of the story you know hmm. it was you know seeing how this big thing all interconnects going to hmm. places like you know as you as you're working your way through uh now this is me getting confused i think it's the second section after you've done the uh after you've done the uh the pit uh, or not the pit, sorry, the uh, the mines, you get to go yeah. to the guards area where the guards all live. Well, that might have been before. Again, see, I'm getting confused. Well. <laughs> but, you know, you get to see, you know, this you particular section of it, and it's, you know, it's very different in sort of style and tone, uh, and it reveals some of a of a story in that way. It's not, as I say, it's not a great story, but it, the, the environment and exploring hmm. the environment is part of the, is part of the fun of it. Also, I yeah. remember some of the script being very odd. Like, um, am I remembering this correctly, or did everyone routinely say the words, your ass? Because, <laughs> like, I you meet Hoss at the start, and he's like, um, but shall be on your ass, I on your yeah. ass. <laughs> and then later on, it's like, he's a bit uh, going to the show there, and he's like, all right, it's time to de-louse your ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hoping that Togon Studio somewhere has a pie chart of um, ownership of Riddick's ass. And uh, if they could divulge that information, because it seems like everyone owns his ass. In uh, yeah, yeah. The um, the dialogue, especially in Dark Athena, which we'll get to in a bit. The dialogue is, you know, I remember being surprised when they started swearing all over the place. And maybe that was the age I was ten years ago. You know, maybe and maybe it's just the way games were at the time. It was kind of like, well, you know, they're actually, you know, ass isn't really a strong swearer. But when they started dropping other f bombs, especially in Dark uh, Dark Athena, when they dropped the c bomb. I was like, okay, cool. Like, you know, games are actually starting to um, grow a pair of balls, so to speak, and uh, start swearing at the people on TV. Uh, you know, swearing at the people playing the game, sorry. <clears throat> it's big and it's clever. Indeed. I approve. Why on earth would a prison buy prisoners? Like, high-profile prisoners? Does that not just seem like a really stupid thing to do? <laughs> this guy here the... is the craziest killer in the entire universe. I'll give you a lot of money for him. I think it's um, the intergalactic government handouts that they get per prisoner that makes it uh, worthwhile. I think, or or actually more more realistically, they probably put them onto work in the mines, and uh, you know it's a kind of a self-sustaining economy like, type thing. I think you could probably get like crap prisoners that can't defend themselves to do that kind of stuff. Possibly, yeah, but I think the most ridiculous that's, thing that's about probably a reason. It's just it seems insane to be hiring someone that's going to kill your entire crew just for uh, <laughs> for that uh, reason alone. You know. Well, I think more 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 ridiculous is not not the that they would actually buy the prisoners, but that they've got a perfectly good prisoner control system up in the third section of uh, Butcher Bay, which oh, I mean, Riddick does manage to break out of that. <laughs> <laughs> but why not just stick everybody in cryo sleep, which they which they do to him eventually? That would have been, I think, the first thing. I don't know. It's like personal promotion, you know. After he yeah. shanks so many guys, yeah, you get promoted to the next level, and you maybe get a pay rise or something like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. 
because that i mean that was uh to be, to be fair he did he does deserve to be put into cryosleep i mean it sounds like a horrible thing to you know were, were that a, an option for prisoners to have to endure you know being put to sleep for 23 hours a day and then let out for an hour walking about in a white box that would be pretty horrific but he does at the end of the pit section he does jump in a mech and proceed to basically assault everybody uh, hmm. Kill everybody, rip the entire. But you say that he assaulted Dark Athena. Oh, 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 he does later. He does later on. <laughs> but yeah, that 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 whole section. I know um, uh, James Carter, one of our other contributors. He that was the point he gave up on on the game. I think in that mech section because it ca- it was frustrating on anything above easy because the 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 mm. amount of damage that you take while you're riding around in this mech and you have to keep jumping out and doing little. Uh, puzzly bits to open doors and things like that it it becomes yeah. quite uh quite frustrating but i thought it, for, for me anyway it was another example of the diversity of the game mm. and the different mm. pacing of the game so you've got you know open world sections you've got stealth sections you've got shooting sections you've got essentially an on rails turret section uh which is effectively what it is because you're, there's only one way you can go through the system but it just this is what this game excels at, I think, was was the sense of a sense of world building and the sense of pacing, and the and that created a game that that you want to go back to. I think that you do want to replay because it's that uh, mm. there are so many different moments to to relive and and enjoy. Mm. It's also interesting here on Buddha. You mentioned how frustrating it was because I don't recall it being that bad back in the day, but chances are with the like the fact that the difficulty spikes and really unfair game design was a lot more prevalent even ten years ago. I think that if I went back to it today, it would just, you know, it seal these now. You know, was this the the mech section? No, just uh, like all the frustrations that they're mentioning overall. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I was surprised. That doesn't actually. stick out of my memory. I mean, I did want to replay it uh, prior to the show, you know, like in the last week, but uh, my copies have gone walkies and I couldn't find them. Well, you know what? What I I found, I think, was a. The, biggest problem going back to it was that the game actually doesn't doesn't explain a lot to you and it was only right at the end of the game right or right at the end of this of the second part of the uh the pit section that i really remembered that you can use you get given this little electric zapper gun which i was just Mm. trying to use to knock out all the guards but you can actually use that to take out the lights temporarily to create dark spaces for you to go through and i completely Mm. forgotten about that up until right (laughs) at the end so i was spending my entire time trying to wait for guards to come to me, them not coming to me, then me trying to run to them, then them shooting, finding me, shooting <laughs> me, then me having to sprint up with them and try and take them down with a few punches quickly. And so it was a very... It, it wasn't as smooth as I remember playing it. So I don't know whether that was was the problem. You know, going back, rewinding back to 2004, 2006, whenever it was I first played it, it was, a, you know, I was much more willing to play it tactically and to take my time through it, whereas this time I was just sort of racing through to try and see the story and i don't know if that hampered it because it certainly when i got to the end of the game i certainly didn't feel as fondly for the combat sections as i as i seem to remember doing earlier mm. on yeah and that is of course the as i was mentioning the fact that games have evolved since then maybe it is yeah. just actually quite clunky now by modern yeah well uh, you know um the, the shooting definitely I don't think the shoot. I mean, if you compare it to something like the wolfenstein shooting which you know you can get through that game without needing to stealth anything really if you, if if shooting's your preference, but for this game, mm. you really you really want to avoid shooting as much as possible. I think so. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, uh, at the end of the game, you know, you you inevitably fight the Jagger Valance in his office, his glamorous office. But before that, oh, no, you get put in. That's Hoss. Hoss is actually nervous. Yeah. See, this is my problem with the story. <laughs> the, 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 ca- the characters for me just sort of they all sort of merge together into one, and uh, you know, it, it it doesn't matter the names as long as I'm going to kill them. That's fine yeah. by me. <laughs> but true, yeah. the bit I was most impressive was the did we mention, you mentioned it earlier. The cryo sleep section completely threw me. It was like. Okay, this is this is interesting. It reminds me of a film called The Cube back in the day. I never did see that. It's <laughs> it's laughable now, but back in the you know back then when it was first out, it was um you know it, it was quite a joy because it's it's about a bunch of people in a giant cube uh, within a giant cube in a giant cube in a giant cube and you know they're trying to solve these puzzles. But to wake up in this white cryo sleep environment and have a little walk around and see other people in cryo sleep and being moved around and like day one this is your you know this is your five minutes of exercise and then you get put back into cryo sleep but then you realize you can break out of that kind of system and it's kind of what the film the cube alludes to at the end spoilers is the fact that you know you can get out of this thing and it just completely blew my mind that there was a whole complex behind it i mean obviously there was you know there was going to be because it was built by man but it was just one of those moments where you just think okay this is the end of the game Riddick's going to go to sleep uh, all of a sudden, you're sort of you're messing around with the you know mechanics of the system, and um, you're out and you're fighting again, and you know the, there's more forces than ever in a probably a few more frustrating moments with mechs. But I do like the fact that the game's bold enough to go to places where you know you don't really think that's going to happen, like uh, you know there's the, the, the stark white environments and kind of like just pyramids of coffins or like you know cryo coffins i guess of just people just being stored away forever and you just think just chilling you know you run around there you do you do your riddick thing and this this kind of like this ending area for me is kind of where the glitches start to happen it happens to be with most video games where you get to near like you know the latter part of the game and it's not a very long game it's about six hours um you know i think even back then i thought that's quite a short game but one that you enjoyed immensely but the glitches started coming through massively. I remember, in order to get onto the he- the kind of the helicopter at the end, you have to kill all the guys, and it's quite frustrating. It's quite you know, it's quite a laborious shooting uh, bit. But there was one guy he fell out. He fell off a ledge, and he fell into the the skybox below me. But he didn't die. So he was just a little pixel just running around down the bottom of this <laughs> massive, massive world. And I was like, oh, brilliant. He's the last guy I've got to kill. Kind of like in Zelda when you kill the last thing and the door opens. It was that kind of thing. So I was looking down, looking through the scope of my gun, which it wasn't a sniper rifle. So he's still just like a, maybe two pixels. <laughs> just trying to pick away at this little guard at the bottom of the skybox. I was like, video games, man. Like, it pulls you in with this, you know, this really interesting world and clever signposting like you know green doors mean you can go through and red lights means you can't and it does it really subtly and then it just does this really stupid cheesy thing of just like i know it's a game glitch and it happened all the time but i don't really wish the guy had started shouting for help <laughs> <laughs> just become self-aware he's in a video game and starts just go, the game's glitched on me guys but yeah I'd, I'd appreciate a full full breaking moment there that would have been that would have been good but oh, i thought so... that whole cryo sleep section i if there were a couple of times where, it, certainly the first two times through, uh, I I forgot how to get out of there, and I was you know mm. I was convinced the game had glitched on me because I just kept going through this cycle of waking up, walking around, being put back to sleep, waking up, walking around, being, being put back to sleep. I completely every time, oh well, the, as I say, the first two times through it, it completely threw me as to how to get out of there, and I actually quite liked yeah. that because it was mm. it, it, you know third time through it was 
you know quite frustrating to, have to think oh god that how do you do this again but the first <laughs> for the first two times it, it you know it creates a, it's a little puzzle and it creates it's, it's a very different atmosphere uh, hmm. to what you've been in before and i think the with the the sound design with the because he's riddick's wearing a mask isn't he or like an all-in-one bodysuit with a mask right, yeah. the breathing the, the the sound of the breathing and the, then his sort of gasps as he gets put back to sleep again i think are quite it's quite effective and it's probably the the one time where you feel riddick really is vulnerable in that sort mm. of situation and that there, there, there might not be a way out but of course you know there always is um there always is and then there's always brutal vengeance to follow mm. but it was i it was a, a it's a very short section, but it, yeah. it it's a great end end piece. And I think they again pacing they pace it right because you've had these two big open world sections, these especially the second section, the pit. You know, it's really quite intricate. You can go around that up and down it a few times, collecting different bits for people, uh, and then you get to this third section. And it, you know, if it was that again, if it was another hub to explore, you'd probably get tired. But they know that you know pacing wise that they had to give you something something different something new and then hit you with a big kind of end scene a big you know final battle and i think it again it really works well it's to its credit and then he woke up and he was in a tiny little box on the moon yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh so yeah throughout all of this um the music for me i i enjoyed but it's largely forgettable um but when i was playing the game i, I couldn't help notice but it's very Metal Gear Solid-esque uh, especially Metal Gear Solid 1 on the PlayStation 1 it kind of it's almost like they've got like the B-sides from the Metal Gear Solid soundtrack you know it's it's tonally it's, you know the themes are there you know that kind of sort of intense sort of action-packed orchestrated music but for me it, just, it, it fails to stick in my mind as anything uh, recognisable and w- when I do think of the music from Riddick at the time I was like this is this is very Metal Gear, and then the Metal Gear Solid soundtrack starts playing in my head. So, you know, it, for me, it didn't have quite the pull or the earworm factor that um, you know the original Metal Gear Solid does. But you know, I thought it does a, it does a good job of keeping in theme with the game throughout all the environment stuff. And there was never a bad moment. I just think uh, where I thought, oh, you know, what? this music's pretty cack. But you know, for, for for the most part of the game, I thought it was um, perfectly serviceable. But maybe a little bit too derivative of uh, Metal Gear Solid. Does anyone else have anything to say about the? Uh, the score. Only that I don't remember much of it, and I, I certainly think mm. it, for a large, large portion of the game, it kind of uh, sort of does away with soundtrack. Essentially, you know, a lot of the exploration is done, and it's just ambient noise. But the, I think that the, the the riff you're kind of referring to is the bit where the where the battle starts, isn't mm. it? When you when you sort of start engaging enemies, and yeah, it it felt like a you know. It, an early example of this kind of you know dynamic music uh sort sort of thing you know where where you know it ramps up when there's stuff going on on screen but it did it in a very i, I found it to be very unsubtle it kind of just sort of cut in you know bursting quite loud when someone started shooting at you and then died away pretty suddenly mm. once they disappeared and but it was as as you say forgettable largely mm. i can't remember the music at all so there we go. Yeah. Point proven. I mean, like, while I was playing it, it, it didn't really strike me as being particularly bad or exciting. It just kind of did its thing and faded mm. it in the background. Hmm. Which is probably kind of a theme for the next chapter of Riddick's uh, uh, gaming life. His Grand Odyssey. The Assault on Dark Athena. So, story-wise, Assault on Dark Athena is, you know, a, a literal 
part two from uh, the escape from Butcher Bay. And it kind of threw me off a little bit because he wakes up on a like a shore, and I just think, hold on a minute, what happened between Escape from Butcher Bay and Dark Athena? He kind of wakes up on the, and he says, he asks you a question. He goes, the darkness. And I thought to myself, no, Riddick, this is Assault from Dark Athena. You're too early for the dark. No, that's a bad joke. Cut that one out. So yeah, Assault, <laughs> Assault on Dark Athena. Now, it, this came with um the revamp, as we mentioned earlier, in 2009 on the Xbox 360. and Playing it through then, uh, for me, was a, a, a really forgettable experience. Uh, you know, it just didn't have the... It felt familiar, you know. It had the, the Riddick movement. It had the the first-person combat and stuff like that. But I felt like, for me, Assault and Dark Athena relied too much on gunplay, which really wasn't what the Chronicles of Riddick's, you know, Escape from Butcher Bay was about. Like we said earlier, like... Butcher Bay is all about sneaking in the shadows and shiving people in the head and stuff like that. Whereas here, they kept giving you opportunities to play around with their not improved gun system from the first one. It was kind of just like, okay, so there are drones now in the world that are, you know, controlled by people in sort of super hang-on arcade machines, I guess. I don't know what it is with me in my head, but everything relates to arcade machines in some way or another. Uh, but yeah, there are these drones with lights on their head and they sort of, they, they scan the environment. But when you kill them, you can then grab their body and use their gun to uh, attack more drones um, coming towards you. Uh, but other than that, I kind of, even playing it now recently, Assault on Dark Athena to me just felt like an extension, but not a very good one of us of Escape from Butcher Bay. It was kind of, it's very linear. I don't remember much in the way of an open world area um, other than kind of near the end where a guy looks at you for a door. <laughs> That's all I remember. It's just this little shutter and his eyes poke through and he says, oh, can you go to this one area and come back again? That's kind of the only moment in Dark, Dark Athena where I found that it was hinting towards, you know, Escape from Butcher Bay's prison, you know, quasi-open world environments. Now, that's not to say that it should be the exact game in a different environment, but I kind of wish they leaned more heavily into what they'd done before rather than... It kind of felt like Quake 4 in a, in a way. It kind of just felt like you were running and gunning and that's not what Riddick's all about. I, I certainly... I, I'd certainly agree with that. I mean, the greatest thing that... The greatest thing to say about Dark Athena is that it gave us a remastered version of Butcher Bay. Uh, yeah. And I don't know anybody that would have gone straight to play Dark Athena over uh, Butcher Bay. I think that was the mm. prime motivation for many people to buy it. But the the problems that I remember because I didn't I didn't play it through again for this one was that obviously for the first part for the first half of the game you're on a on a, a ship essentially aren't you a, a, a spaceship and mm, the restricted uh, play space you felt that you felt that there was there wasn't the the the, the depth or diversity of uh, environments or uh, navigational opportunities you know to get through the 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 environment i just remember essentially going through one vent coming out into another room that looked exactly the same maybe there was a prisoner or two in there or something like that mm. that you could talk to and then back out into another room and there was a few big hangers that you could make your way through but again they were um well i, I seem to remember there being an achievement tied to getting through there with only using three drones which i think says speaks to your point about there being too much reliance on gunplay in the, mm. you know that they would consider that achieve, an achievement to get through there using only three drones, not more. Uh, so yeah, and then the, you know the second half of the game, once you land on the planet that I can't remember the name of, it is 
they, it's just it's just shooting. Um, so for me, it felt like they uh, had forgotten or, or not recognised all the things that were great about Butcher Bay. Mm. But then maybe maybe they, it, the way that the studio has gone since they have leaned a lot more heavily on on shooting uh, over the stealth. So maybe this was them sort of flexing those muscles and getting getting ramped up to make games like The Darkness and Syndicate. Not a great deal of uh, overly positive ones. I mean, you guys have pretty much nailed it. And I mean, I think that one of the reasons for that, if I heard correctly, is because um, development of this took longer than expected. They didn't get it out in time, so they just kept adding to it. So what could have worked as a much shorter, tighter kind of experience, mm. even though the gunplay isn't that great, it wouldn't have been as like drawn out, you know? Mm-hmm. So I get the feeling that... Um, I don't know. I'm not entirely sure what they were thinking. You know, it just feels like a, a, an entire project that didn't have the foresight that Butcher Blade did. You know, maybe didn't even even have the love for the the franchise. You know, like the for the world building and the Carter himself. Mm. Um, yeah, they just went about it the wrong way, in my opinion, and uh, you guys' opinions, and pretty much everybody's opinions. I've never actually <laughs> heard anyone saying that they prefer Dark Athena. They just everyone seems to universally acknowledge. That it uh, it lost a lot of what made the first game special at the time. Yeah, mm. and I I think you actually you mentioned character development, uh, Darren. But I, and I think that was actually thinking about it now the point the point of the game because if you compare Riddick in Dark Athena to Riddick in Butcher Bay and Pitch Black, he it's moving trying to move him to being much more of a overtly heroic character rather than an anti-heroic mm. character which yeah, they right. try to set up with the chronicles of Riddick the film you know because it you know which it, is in, interesting because he's been going around modern already up to this point so exactly <laughs> exactly but but you know in this his prime motivation is you know he's got to rescue a bunch of people from you know from the cells of, of the dark athena ship and then mm-hmm. he's got to rescue a uh like an a, adorable a, little child yeah and 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 then a, and a, a town of, of people from you know this these uh I can't remember the name of the characters, the enemies in it, but he's no. essentially the last uh, line of defense for this uh, civilization, this Earth, this planet. And so I think mm. this is this is the point where I, I would imagine this is, you know, a, a point where Vin Diesel and and the the studio side of things comes gets involved, where they're saying, you know, we want Riddick to be much more of this type of person, this type of character, because it served the broader. Uh, narrative arc that they were going for with the films yeah uh yeah so you know it's you saying that darren about they have more development time than expected so they just kept on bolting on sections to the game you can definitely feel that kind of in the latter third of the uh or the final third of the game i guess is that um it just i ended up just sort of playing it the other week just sort of running through these giant warehouse environments, just doing the same thing over and over again. I know that's true for most video games, that, you know, video games are just a minute of combat, you know, repeated. But here it just wasn't varied enough for me. I mean, they introduced the, the, the I can't remember what they're called, the, the Kulax or the Dulax or something. They're, they're, these dual blade weapons that are pictured on the front cover um, of Dark Athena. And they kind of made the game too easy in terms of melee combat for me. And I think that's probably... Um, an amendment made from the first game where people said it was too difficult but he has these two blades and whenever you get into a, a combat situation because they're giant ripsaw blades on his hand whenever someone blocks his attacks they weren't doing anything because like it's just their forearms just getting shredded up by um, Riddick's mental ability to um, you know to kill people but yeah having Riddick as a or Vin Diesel 
as a as a hero in Dark Athena, I just couldn't really get to grips with it because he is talking to some horrible people in these cells and some not so horrible people. Uh, but I think the most horrible one is a uh, is, is called Jailer, <laughs> and he's he's in prison and he t- he talks to you and the stuff he comes out with is just like. It's just ridiculous. It's just it's just so horrible and mean and stuff like that. And you just think, oh man. But I kind of wish there was more of that than what the game presented to me. Because um, there's just so there's just so many stale gun moments. Like the, the guns in the game just don't feel great, and they just kept plowing me with them. And uh, I, I kind of wish that that cell that sort of you know that cell moment where I'm saving these guys from prison. I kind of wish that was expanded more upon. You know, uh, which was rife in Butcher Bay. Um, Dark Athena, both the ship and the planet he's, uh, he roams around on. Again, it, I, I do feel like they did a good job in presenting a believable world. They kind of, the skyboxes again, they kind of link together. Like you can see certain key landmarks in the background that sort of relate to each other. And I do think they did a good job in presenting the world, but the stuff you do in that world just isn't, just isn't enjoyable. And I ended up just like, just listening to podcasts and stuff like that for the rest of my second playthrough because I just wasn't as attached to the um to the whole the whole thing, which is a shame. Now, on the menu, I I saw, and unfortunately, I couldn't play the multiplayer, which was a a criticism of the first game. Uh, there was no multiplayer, and this was back then. You know, we were quite it was quite new for a single player game to come out and only be a single player game. You know, uh, it was kind of the norm for a, a game to have both single player and a multiplayer component. But really, Butcher Bay on the Xbox original didn't have multiplayer and it was um it was a thing that people moaned about and probably you know lowered the score of the video of the game overall but the multiplayer in dark athena did anyone try it out because i don't remember i think i tried it once and it was really laggy and it had like four people in it was not similar laggy yeah yeah and i think that that rang true for other Starbreeze multiplayer games I remember the darkness did that have multiplayer in it the yeah. same thing it was really laggy I, I might be talking out of my bum there but no, I, I seem to remember other th- well, Syndicate for me just didn't even work in co-op, so um, that was a bit of a nightmare. But uh, yeah, the 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 Riddick multiplayer for me was a non-event, and for people to moan about it and then get it for the sequel or the you know the add-on, I guess, and it for you to just it just be a massive damp squib. Uh, was that just me, or did it, uh, or did I miss out on a on a gem? No, not at all. Uh, I mean, I didn't. I I think I ventured into it once. Uh, and gave up on it, and and you're right. The, the darkness multiplayer uh, was pretty much the same uh, combination of laggy and sort of soft, unresponsive shooting. Mm. Uh, and it was just, I, I never played the the co-op on Syndicate, but I heard that they got it right for that. That 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 was a, a you know a fun uh, a fun co-op mm. game to play. But for me, Starbreeze has never been about. Uh, multiplayer and so obviously I have referenced it a few times but when Wolfenstein the New Order came out and that didn't have multiplayer in it it was kind of a relief to think that they'd Mm. gone back to just ploughing resources into the single player only and I know obviously Mm. it's not Star it's not that's not a Starbreeze studio game but there was enough of the people there that made Riddick to to think that they'd kind of gone back and captured what was good about the first Riddick and not bothered with what was bad about it like the multiplayer which was unnecessary. Yeah, I'm glad we've got to a point now where we can see a game like Wolfenstein the New Order and think, oh, thank God it hasn't got multiplayer because, like, you know, there was a time where we were craving, Xbox Live was a new thing and we were craving for the next sort of thing to jump to. You know, your, your friends list 
suddenly shifted to the next big thing and everyone was playing that. But now it's kind of changed, you know. Um, you, you, like, we keep mentioning it, but the Wolfenstein had no multiplayer and you're just like, okay, finally, they're going to put all their efforts into yeah, making this a uh, single-player experience worth playing. And I think that is probably probably why Dark Athena wasn't so great or as great as the first one because, you know, their team was spread too thin. Who knows? Who knows? So we have one piece of forum feedback, which probably, I, I don't know, I, I always thought this game was more popular than people, I don't know, is, is the, was the game more popular back then, or was that just in my mind? Uh, people don't people don't want to talk about it anymore? Well, it was critically been... lauded, I'm not sure exactly how successful it was or how many people ended up playing it. It was, hmm. yeah. I don't remember it being the sort of game that you would walk into a shop and pick up off the off the shelves. You know, it wasn't. Uh, it it didn't do great guns in that respect. But then that was true. I think of things like Stranger's Wrath, which was another great uh, Xbox yeah. One first person shooter that tried something different with the the first person shooter genre, and that kind of got critically applauded, but completely overlooked on release. But um, but you know, perhaps there's there is a nervousness about it because it is a game tied into a movie and yeah. the movie that it was kind of tied into the chronicles of riddick wasn't that great to begin with so people were probably right maybe to be skeptical not wanting to pick it up mm. they've not had a great history of the video game tie-in so no whereas i think this is you know the, the exception that proves the rule um it being a a, a great video game tie-in the forum feedback is of one piece from electric crocosaurus uh, thank you very much. He says, while we're still waiting for a great film to come out of a bad or otherwise video game, The Chronicles of Riddick shows that you can at least get a great video game out of a bad movie. And I'd just like to say that Mortal Kombat wasn't bad. The first one was actually decent. We know. <laughs> Wisely, Starbreeze jettisoned <laughs> much of a baggage of its silver screen cousin while retaining the few strengths, the interestingly, the interestingly gothic art design, charismatic lead and nihilistic tone of pitch black are all present and correct the chronicles of riddick is an excellent fps that has been bettered since not least by starbury's own the darkness uh, but it's still one of the few first person games that gets melee combat right the various tools in brackets shivs knuckle dusters screwdrivers all feel great to wield with suitably gory results i did uh, to the point of that the i did like the fact that you could change between uh, shivs or knuckle dusters or screwdrivers uh, yeah. multiple versions of those things but there was no real reason to do it other than whether you liked <laughs> whether you liked the particularly sort of That's gory it. looking surgical knife or if you preferred the the, sh- the the you know the piece of shattered glass whether that was your preferred killing implement and i thought that was quite quite a, yeah. a nice touch really it was kind of Riddick's own sort of finishing from Mortal Kombat Fatality move, you know? It was yeah. like, okay, this screwdriver's going in your neck, and yeah. it looks pretty graphic and kind of satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and you could choose between these various um, melee instruments and also guns via a weapon wheel, um, which was kind of new for the time, in 2004, having a weapon wheel. But sadly, playing it now on a keyboard you can only assign to two buttons and i've got like a whole keyboard here and i think well mate i wish i could have more of these options on you know on different buttons but i think that's kind of like the halo influence back then you know you have you have one or the other even though you could have an arsenal in your pocket (laughs) like games have always done that you know perfect dark is a prime example of having a hundred guns but you know you can only sort of map a couple to the menu 
you know, the, the weapon wheel, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, was, I didn't um, really find myself flicking through them all too much. The guns, though, it was you know, if you, once you get the the assault rifle, you kind of stick with the assault rifle until you maybe run yeah. out of bullets, and then you switch to the shotgun if you have to. But yeah, again, it's you know, you said it already. The the weapons weren't great in it, so you kind of just picked whichever one you had the most bullets for, really, and went with that. Yeah, and just hope the bullets uh, were accurate enough to hit them. Yeah, that they actually but, landed. Yeah. yeah. We have some three-word reviews via Twitter. Um, luckily, more than just, just one of the forum feedback. We have five. Johan Malmgren says, Not remake-worthy. Anders Russell says, Screwdriver Temple Stabbing. <laughs> Vimsy74, Atmospheric Quality Shooter. Tatsan says, Prison Simulator 2852. Bob Tweets Games says, Atmospheric Great Millie. Yeah, so you know, there's, there's there's a theme there within the three reviews. The uh, the atmosphere and the melee seem to uh, seem to shine, shine. So it's time to summarise our our experience of the Chronicles of Riddick. You know, the series, the games, uh, the man, the life. Okay. <laughs> Vin Diesel. Well, for, I think for me, uh, the Chronicles of Riddick was uh, for all the the faults that we might have picked up and identified you know with the games now it for me it was very much a game that changed my perspective on what a first person shooter could be and you know no matter how the the genre has advanced since you know whenever you are playing a more conventional shooter like a halo or a call of duty i'm sort of constantly wishing that there were moments of mm. the, the the sort of depth of pacing, uh, the level of detail, the attention to world building, and uh, you know character interaction that that made Chronicles of Riddick what it was. Uh, the reason I keep mentioning Wolfenstein: The New Order is because Wolfenstein: The New Order is the the most uh, modern update for that particular format of game that that Starbury seemed to have come up with and perfected and sort of kept to themselves i mean i'd wished other people would have picked it up i'm guessing that mm. the reason that they haven't is because it's not been as commercially as successful as it as it could be or as it should be but for me it's you know it was a, it was a great example of a game that took uh interactions that everyone's familiar with that you know the shooting and the, the melee combat uh and and built a a story and a world around it and it was a it was a game it was the first game i ever went back to and replayed and when this podcast came up i i was ha i was happy to go and repurchase the game and play through mm. chronicles of riddick again i didn't oh sorry butcher bay again i didn't make it to dark athena again uh but that was because it was you know it was half the game that that butcher bay was but you know it it i think it still it still stands up now it's still a game that if you like the the Riddick series and there has been a, a more recent entry in the film series if you like the character and if you like the kind of world that Vin Diesel and David Toy created then um, you know it's it's well worth picking up it's like 11 quid on Xbox Live Arcade for as a download and yeah it's it, it hopefully if you haven't played it it will it will change your perspective in the way it changed mine uh, maybe you'll get frustrated with it and you know wish that you you hadn't played it but uh, for for me, you know, the, the the impact that it's had on on my sort of taste in games makes it mm. highly recommended. 
yeah, I I agree with that last bit you just said there with it influencing your uh, your taste in video games because when I first played the Chronicles of Riddick: uh, Escape from Butcher Bay, I was I was very impressed by how well the um kind of the inertia the movement of Riddick is portrayed on screen for your control pad movement uh, you know your analog stick movements it's you do really kind of feel like you are you know Vin Diesel at points where you're um you know you're sneaking behind boxes and waiting for the the screen to go blue before you stab people in the uh, neck it is a really satisfying sort of loop of gameplay that is often broken by some poor gunplay uh but you know back in 2004 if I'd have known where shooters were going to go, you know, after the advent of modern warfare, I probably would have appreciated it more because, like you say, you kind of wish for more diversity within your first-person shooter. Um, you know, the, the mech moments, the 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 sort of sneaking around on handrails, and just general. I I really enjoy key cards in video games, and I know yeah, that's yeah. probably not a a popular thought amongst gamers nowadays but like you know it kind of reminded me of doom where you'd you'd pick up a key card from a guy or an enemy and you'd you know you'd have to go back and you know sometimes you're rewarded with a, a bonus pack of cigarettes or or concept art basically but, but you know just finding just like thematically uh cool things on the floor to pick up that you're rewarded for because you as riddick found that key card to open that door i really appreciated that and I said earlier I wasn't re- I wasn't a big fan of the story beats of you know uh, the Escape from Butcher Bay. I, I enjoyed the moment to moments of me- it happening in front of me, but I can't really recall what happened and and sort of and sort of why. I guess it it's not it's not a it's not a complex story. Don't get me wrong, but what I saw it's just like okay that happens. Let's kill that guy now. He's he's now the new big bad, and let's let's move on and kill him. And the the environments they portray in front of you are. I just well even now I think they're gorgeous and you know I posted quite a few pictures on Twitter of my um, of my replay of either being a nice lit skybox or someone getting a, a screwdriver in their temple so you know the nice second turn. one is even more beautiful than the first yeah <laughs> the second temple is always better than the first <laughs> so yeah uh, the Chronicles of Riddick Escape from Dark Athena is is largely forgettable it's it kind of just felt like they had to make it. To justify the revamp, you know, like let's remake Escape from Butcher Bay, hooray! And then they were like, "Well, can, can we really justify paying, you know, charging an extra? Well, not an extra, but another so and so amount of money? It doesn't stop people nowadays, but they, I guess they kind of they were forced into making a, a an add-on, you know, a, a bit of DLC, I guess, to justify revamping Butcher Bay. But I reckon you should go back and play Butcher Bay. Or if you haven't played it at all, go go and check it out because it does things that even now first person games don't do. And you know, Chronicles Riddick did it right. Yeah. It did it right. Yeah, I, I just to just to interrupt there, the, the point where you were saying about um the, kind of the, the story progression through the game, uh and, and, and it's switching, you know, your target switching. Uh it, it, I think it does that in a way that it is very unpredictable. And I quite like that. You you never quite knew what was coming up next. You'd get sent on a a task, which was you know break into the infirmary, and you'd end up fighting your way through a prison riot and then being chucked into a pit. Or you'd be told that you need to get a keycard for a door, but it turned out you needed to you know gouge out the eye of a prison guard. And just as you'd done that, you'd end up getting arrested and thrown into an even uh, you know more secure part of the prison in a whole new mm. environment. You it was never right, yeah. it was never a case of 
get key card, open door. There was always something that kind of stopped you using that key card once you got it. And yeah. I, I thought that was quite unexpected and, and refreshing. And again, it's another reason why the game is, it, it, I remember it quite so fondly. Yeah, and you know, I think Salt and Dark Athena could have been more memorable if they had employed the the tactic of you know you can't use this gun because you're you know not genetically encoded within the system like Butcher Bay did. Yeah. I think the 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 onslaught of guns and the the ease of use in Dark Athena ultimately led to just a run and gun game. And I even now, even only played it last week or two, I I can't remember what happened other than the fact that I shot some people in the head. Mm. Um, you know, it it looked good, but ultimately it's uh, largely forgettable. So, Mr. Foreman's. Here we go. Um, well, I mean, I did think it was a pretty damn good game when I played it uh, back in 2004. And there's a number of reasons. I mean, I've already kind of spoken about the emphasis on atmosphere ad nauseum. But it also did a lot of other interesting things, such as trying to minimise the amount of uh, data that's on your HUD, you know. Like, generally, if you were getting shot, your health bar would appear, and at mm. other times it would be hidden. You know, like, if you're wandering about in the shadows, there's not, like, a meter telling you exactly how hidden you are, it's just that your display is blue. Hmm. And it was just all these little, uh, fairly interesting and innovative, um, uh, well, innovations, I guess, uh, at the time, that made it kind of stand out in the crowd a bit. And it's a shame that there aren't any uh, more games that try and I don't know, just try and get that feel of perfection, just a small thing. Like, if you look at uh, Butcher Bay as a whole, you know, it's, it's not like a, a massive sprawling game. And the mm. gameplay concepts aren't particularly extensive. But there's a lot of thought put into them. You know, like Bugs Aside and like Line of Sight and stuff like that. Um, and you do get the feeling that we're really trying to go for something different, you know? Just something that would stick out from the crowd and they, de- and they definitely did, you know? Like, even now I can remember a hell of a lot about the gameplay. I can remember a lot of the story beats, even if uh, the dialogue, etc. wasn't the best. And, yeah, I mean, it's kind of also kind of telling that I'm not really talking about Dark Athena here. But uh, I've got no love for that game, to be honest. It just kind of felt like more of the same, but significantly less. Hmm. And, yeah, I mean, just, it, it did a lot of interesting things, you know. It issued gunplay for uh, punching people in the skull. Um, and sticking a, a screwdriver out in the back of that skull. And, um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I think that um, it's definitely... I'm not sure if I would say it's an important game, because not a lot of uh, games took inspiration from it. But I do think mm. it's a really enjoyable game, and I'm glad that they they put their all into it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think if you were to play this kind of, you know, uh, first-person adventure game i guess you know it's you know you do end up like sort of skulking around environments more more than you would in a traditional shooter i reckon you know brian said it earlier i reckon you should play the wolfenstein the new order uh yeah that, that game genuinely surprised me in the fact that i didn't expect it to be that good um even though it was you know machine games which is a bunch of guys who used to make the riddick and the, the darkness you know uh yeah i think you know that game the wolfenstein new order is kind of like the perfect version of this kind of first-person shooter, and I know the word "perfect" is shouldn't be used lightly, but I do think that game absolutely nails it. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think if, if anybody looks at the Chronicles of Riddick and is put off by the data graphics or what we've said about their big, slightly wonky AI routines and the gunplay being a bit 
rubbish, then yeah, the the obvious choice is Wolfenstein New Order because it it gets a lot of that stuff, or it fixes a lot of that stuff, or that stuff mm. is brought up to modern standards that would would mean that it's probably a better entry point. And if you like that and you want to see the inspiration for that, then go back, go back to Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah, and you can dual wield any gun, just like Goldeneye. Dual wield snake rifles. It's little wild thing. They're Ulax, <laughs> that was what they were called. Ulax. The, Ulax. That was it, wasn't it? Ulax. That, that, that makes sense. Yeah, we can cut that back in for later on, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the weapon was Ulax. <laughs> kind of like old ISS commentary back in the day. Yeah, so yes, that was the Chronicles of Reddit Kane and Rince podcast. And uh, next week you can hear uh, a, a longer show where people talk about Hideo Kojima's Snatcher. I don't know. Oh, big loud. And hopefully you will too. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>